Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is February 18, 2012. Um, Purim is going to be coming up pretty soon, uh, next month, so I will be doing some Bible studies in the future in reference to that for those who regularly listen to me. Uh, for those who are listening to me for the first time, I will explain what Purim is in a future broadcast. Well, the title of this Bible study is Elohim, or God. Elohim is the Hebrew name for God. And the economy. We do get news from the media, which is controlled by the elite, which is another Bible study in itself, the elite meaning the rich of the world. And they really don't tell us the truth about the metrics or the numbers, the economic numbers or economic numbers, and so forth. So in this um, in this Bible study, I'm going to reveal the truth about the status of the United States economy and the world economy, and using the Bible, of course, as the foundation of all knowledge, including economic knowledge. But before I get into that, and this is definitely going to be something that's going to lead into this Bible study. I want to, and I believe God is moving me to, to talk about this because it needs to be uh, emphasized here, the fanaticism with stars and, and idols and music stars and movie stars and so forth that we have in this country, because uh, we really have it bad in this country, and it's a form of sodomy, which if you understand what sodomy is, it's not just um, homosexuality or um, perverted sex or sexual acts. It also involves an attitude. And, and the Jews do teach this right, that uh, sodomy really was people not caring about one another. And let's turn to um, Ezekiel chapter 16 so you understand what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, and also I have, I have a new time for this uh, show it's at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, if I'm going to change that time, I will let you know. But I think 10.30 is a really, really pretty good time for me because I, I work like you. Um, I did a Bible study on that, what uh, Yeshua and the apostles charge fees for their teachings, which proves using biblical and outside biblical sources, um, mainly Jewish, that Yeshua and the apostles actually had regular jobs while they preached. A lot of times they did their teachings in the evenings 
uh, after they worked or they did it um, on Shabbat, like I'm doing it today, on the Sabbath day. So if you want to listen to that Bible study, it's in the archives. What uh, Yeshua and, and the apostles charge fees for their teachings, and I explain that in detail. Okay, so uh, we're going to get to Ezekiel here, Ezekiel chapter 16. And God tells you what the sins of sodomy are. We don't have to guess. Uh, it's in here. And let me see if I can find it here. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. I'm going to read this in um, the, which version? I have so many versions here. The 1965 Bible and Basic English version, for clarity's sake here. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Truly, this was the sin of your sister's sister. Truly, this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. So, again, as as he does many times in the scriptures, Elohim, or God, gives us a description of something that we maybe have been struggling with for years, or we may not have known that it was in the Bible. So anyway, this is the definition, or this is the social conditions of sodomy. Truly, this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. Pride. A full measure of food. So we, it's the status of where you have plenty of food and the comforts of wealth and peace. And in this country, we do have military peace, but we don't have peace as far as uh, everyone having their needs taken care of, which I'm going to address today in this Bible study. There's many people in this country right now that are living in tents. Uh, I, I even I looked at this one documentary, uh, 30 minutes, uh, I think it was 29, 28 minutes, and a poor little girl saying that her mother was eating a rat. You know, that, that that's the kind of situation right now that people are in this country. And then many people right now, my wife is saying, well, are you going to do the Bible study today? Because many people are focusing on Whitney Houston. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, Whitney Houston, look, you know, she was a great entertainer. And I did like her music myself, all right? But we should pay our respects to anyone that dies, whether it's an entertainer or someone who's poor, all right? or someone you don't even know about. But to change the time of the Bible study because of an entertainer, I mean, that, that's that's ridiculous. I know that Elohim does not want me to do that. Uh, and I know many people around the world uh, consider her an idol or an icon. And an icon, the definition of an icon is an idol. Is an, and an idolatry, the biblical definition is image worship. So we shouldn't worship anyone or anything other than Elohim himself. And, you know, music is, is great, but the Bible states plainly that we should do everything in moderation, including listening to music and, and including partying and, and everything else. And unfortunately, in this country, especially in this country, we overdo that. We overdo music. We overdo dancing. We overdo entertainment so much that we forget about the being that gave us the ability to do those things. So anyway, back to the definition of Sodom. Verse 49. This, truly, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Pride, a full measure of food, and the comforts of wealth and peace were seen in her and her daughters, and she gave no help to the poor or to those in need. And you tell me that's not a perfect description of this country and how we act toward one another. Verse 50. 
They were full of pride, and boy, are we full of pride. American pride, right? And did what was disgusting to me. And that covers everything else. Homosexuality, bestiality, all types of sexual perversion. Uh, all you got to do is look at MTV to understand what I'm talking about. VH1. And as I was telling my wife and son, it's like almost every entertainer that I have known, once they get into the industry, this is the reason why I didn't want to get into the industry. Because it's easy, it's easy to get perverted, as I'm going to show you in the scriptures today. God says that too. So if you want to get angry at me, get angry at God. Because God says that when you get into the entertainment industry, which you become rich, you have all kinds of problems. Most people can't handle a lot of money. They can't. And once they get that money, they go nuts. And unfortunately, Miss Houston went nuts in the area of getting drunk, being an alcoholic, and also getting on drugs. Now, I'm not gossiping. This is stuff that's out all over the place. Everybody knows that she had problems. She even admitted it in an in, in interview. She, she, she had demons. She admitted she had demons. And she admitted that she was on uh, cocaine and all this other stuff. And I you know I saw pictures of her online it was just terrible that, 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 that what happened to her. And being in the entertainment industry for those who are in a state of denial I don't care you can be in denial all you want it had something to do with that folks. She wasn't happy. You would think that someone like that would have been happy. And it saddens me that you know this is a beautiful woman, very beautiful woman, very talented. And she allowed drugs to get in the way. And unfortunately, she allowed herself to be around certain people that didn't help her drug addiction either. Bobby Brown, he has a problem with drugs. So, you know, let's let's honor her death, folks, but let's not get too carried away now. She's a human being. She's not God. She has faults like every one of us. We should be praying for her spirit and pray that when Judgment Day comes, the great right throne judgment, that she will obey and do what she needs to do to make it into the kingdom of God. That's what we need to be doing. Okay. But what I'm going to do is use this as a setting here to go into the economic Bible study. That I want to, because, like I told you, one of the main reasons why we have a problem with this economy is because people don't care. It's a moral problem. As I'm going to quote to you, hey, let me just quote this now from uh, The Price, of, and I suggest you read this book. This is an excellent book. It's called The Price of Civilization by Jeffrey Sachs. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs is an expert in regards to socioeconomics, which is the study of how people support themselves. And, and, and also, he's, a, he's an expert in poverty itself. And on the back of this book, it says, uh, During most of my 40 years in economics, I have assumed that America, with its great wealth, death of learning, advanced technologies, and democratic institutions, would reliably find its way to social betterment. I decided early on in my career to devote my energies to economic challenges abroad, or in other words, outside the United States, where I felt the economic problems were more acute and in need of attention. Now I am worried about my own country. The economic crisis of recent years reflected deep, threatening, and ongoing deterioration of our national politics and culture of power. At the root of America, now listen to this, 
at the root of America's economic crisis lies a moral crisis. Now, you know what moral means. It means right or wrong. The decline of civic virtue among America's political and economic elite. It's all backed up by the Bible, folks. A society of markets, laws, and elections is not enough if the rich and powerful fail to behave with respect, honesty, and compassion toward the rest of society and toward the world. And I have to mention this, folks. Uh, Whitney Houston being on drugs is not a good image for anyone, including the youth of our country. All right? Um, America has developed the world's most competitive market society, but has squandered its civic virtue along the way. And if you just think I'm thinking I'm picking on Whitney Houston, Prince, Prince is terrible. And I used to love Prince music. Okay? But I woke up. And said, hey, wait a minute, why am I listening to somebody who wore women's clothes and and talks about sex all the time? And you have to really weed through his music to find something decent to listen to. Now, he does, incredibly, have some decent music to listen to. But you have to weed through all the sex stuff to be able to listen to it. Michael Jackson was okay for a while until he started grabbing his crouch. Okay? And And he started doing all kinds of other ridiculous things. Now, he... You know, he had an issue with his father, and believe me, I understand that one, all right? And his father had a lot to do with the way he was acting, you know, so uh, he was a terrible soul. But he was a kind soul. He really cared about people. He wrote a beautiful song. What was that song that he wrote? I forgot the name of that one song, but it was a beautiful song that he wrote. Uh, Heal, the, Heal the World, Heal the World, yeah. Yeah, we had, yeah that was the most, one of the most beautiful songs I ever heard in my life. So he had a very kind heart, and it's just terrible. It hurts me to see somebody like that destroyed, and unfortunately, just like Whitney Houston on a different type, but drug addiction. He couldn't, he couldn't get to sleep, so he had to use what he called milk. It looked like milk uh, to get sleep, and he really wasn't sleeping. He, he didn't really get the type of sleep he needed. And so anyway, it, it, it's, it's just uh, then Madonna. Please, I don't even want to go two sentences with her. Uh, you, you know what she's about, all right? So those, you know, Whitney Houston wasn't as bad as those three, okay? But unfortunately, uh, again, the entertainment industry, it seems to affect individuals. I don't know too many individuals in the entertainment industry where it doesn't affect them to the point of where they make irrational and unjust decisions that affects not only them, but the people around them and also the world because people look at them, they idolize them, right? And they look at them as an example. And they're not being a good example. So he says the respect, uh, the, the powerful fail to behave with respect, that's, that's, you, you're not respecting other people if you don't respect yourself. And you need to take, and then here, Tiger Wood. You know, Tiger Wood in his situation with, what, 20, swept of 22? I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And I'm not just picking on black folks. White folks, there's many different white folks that have issues too, like uh, Elizabeth Taylor. How many marriages she have? You know, so this goes. This is not a race thing. All types of human races have sin. Stars, poor people, in between. So, but anyway, so society of markets, laws, and elections is not enough if the rich and powerful fail to behave with respect, honesty, and compassion toward the rest of society and toward the world. America has developed the world's most competitive market society, but has squandered its civic virtue along the way. Without restoring an ethos of social responsibility, here we go, social responsibility. Did Whitney have social responsibility? No, she did not. Unfortunately, 
I can't uh, make believe like she had an audible image. She didn't. She didn't. Unfortunately, in the end, she didn't. There can be no meaningful and sustained economic recovery. She had beautiful music. And I know God and myself and those who believe in God wish she would live would have lived up to that beautiful music she, she sung. We need to re- reconceive the idea of a good society in the early 21st century and to find a creative path toward it. Most important, we need to be ready to pay the price of civilization through the multiple acts of good citizenship. Bearing our fair share of taxes, educating ourselves deeply about society's needs, acting as vigilant stewards for future generations, and remembering that compassion is the glue that holds society together. What a beautiful statement there, because that's what I call my fellowship, merciful, which means having compassion, servants of God. And he's right. I mean, he's all. this is all Bible here, whether he realizes or not, what he's talking about. But getting back to the definition of Sodom again, uh, when it says, and she gave no help to the poor, to those in need. And then verse 50, they were full of pride and did what was disgusting to me, which includes sexual perverted acts, and so I took them away as you have seen. And God calls us Sodom in this end time. Uh, we are Israel, a part of Israel, for those who think I'm crazy for saying that. Go to org. That proves that the 12 tribes of Israel consists of the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, which includes Canada, the countries in northwestern Europe, Australia, North, not North Africa, South Africa, um, and then New Zealand. So it includes all those countries, and of course it includes anyone that believes that Yeshua, who is the king of Israel, is the Messiah. That is Israel today. Whether you believe it or not. So let's turn to, so you know what sodomy is. It's not just sexual perversion. It's actually not caring about yourself, being fat, having overabundance, uh, being lazy, having the comforts of wealth, being in a fantasy world. Whenever you see starving children, you turn the channel quickly. You don't want to know about it. You don't want to know about no problems. As long as everything going okay in my life, I don't want to. I don't want no about. I don't want no about no problems. I don't want no problems. Well, you you can't live that way and call yourself a Christian. So anyway, let's go to let's see what God says about poverty, and then it's going to lead into understanding what's really going on in the economy today. Because most people I know don't understand that. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand what the Federal Reserve System is. They don't understand what the devil has set up here. They really don't. And I'm going to reveal that today. All right, Proverbs 14, verse 20. As long as I'm able to continue to talk on this show, I'm going to do what i got to do. Proverbs 14, verse 20. I'm going to read this in the in the Bible and basic English version here for clarity's sake. Proverbs 14 verse 20 says, "The poor man is hated even by his neighbor." But here's the contrast here. But the man of wealth or the woman of wealth has numbers of friends. You know, and Whitney Houston and any other star, they have plenty of friends, right? Because they're rich. And see, wealth attracts people. 
Just like water attracts a thirsty person, right? Well, wealth does the same thing. People think you're okay because you have a lot of money. And they're looking at what they can get from you. Just like if Prince walked in my neighborhood, he would be mobbed. And you know why he's going to be mobbed? Because of what he has. What he has is riches. And people want what he has so much that they don't care about injuring that person. Just like the Beatles. You have women being demon-possessed, basically, in the audience going crazy. <laughs> you know, because, because they got money, they got things that they want. And they covet that so much that they sin. And that's a sin. Um, Proverbs chapter 19. Verse 4. Here we go again. Wealth makes a great number of friends. But the poor man is parted from his friend. That's not fair. I mean, wealth makes a great number of friends, as I stated. But the poor man is parted from his friend. And that's sad, but that's, believe me, I know from personal experience that's the case. When you don't have no money, don't buy, don't be around you. Because they don't want to help you. I guarantee you, on the authority of the Bible itself and God, that that condition is going to change when he comes back. Everyone's going to be treated equally. And everybody's going to be treated like they're a human being, not because of what you have or what you don't have. Okay, um, verse 6, Proverbs 19, verse 6. Great numbers will make attempts to get the approval of a ruler, and every man is the special friend of him who has something to give. <laughs> verse 7, all the brothers of the poor man are against him. All. The brothers of the poor man are against him. How much more do his friends go far from him? Okay, so, and then the King James, old trusty King James version, I think is even a better trend. Verse 6 says, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth with words, yet they are wanting. So even when the poor man tries to speak to him, reason with him, they want to run away from him because, oh, he's poor. And that's not that's not the way God wants things to be done. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. It's like I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm going to mention his name. You know who he is if he's listening to me. And he says, well, you know, I don't want to be responsible for someone else's problems or whatever, you know, because of the entitlement programs. And I said, okay, I understand that the way the Bible reveals the way it should be done is that we should help the poor in our community. I agree. But I, I, I challenged this individual. I said, okay, what if we took away the entitlement program? What if we took away Medicaid? What if we took away the financial aid system uh, for student loans? What if we took a lot of other things away that the government provides? Would these people who complain, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, would they step in and help out? And he told me, well, I don't think so, or no, or whatever. You know, I said, well, that's the reason why the government has to do it. I'm not I'm not in favor of all that. I, I wish I didn't have to go through financial. I mean, one of the reasons why there is a Department of Education is because they, this government has allowed these schools to charge all these ridiculous fees for, the, for school. There's one, there's one school, if I wanted to get my doctorate degree at Walden University, it would cost $810 a credit hour for a three-hour course. That's $2,000-something a course. That's ridiculous. Now, who's going to pay for that? Is Bill Gates going to pay? If Bill Gates going to do it, fine. But Bill Gates don't care about Kennard Brown, okay? And he's not going to pay for my tuition. 
So what choice do I have but to get student loans? Okay? Nobody wants to get into debt. Well, let's put it this way. Anybody reasonable doesn't want to get into debt. I know I don't. But I've, I've had to get into debt. There's good debt and bad debt. I mean, good debt is making good investments like like in, like a home or your education or any type of vocational education that's going to help you make more money. That's good debt. Bad debt is, is maxing out credit cards, buying clothes you know you ain't going to wear, and, and, and all kinds of other silly stuff. That that's, that's bad debt. There's good debt and bad debt, and the Bible does not say that getting loans is a sin. It says not paying them back is a sin. In other words, getting loans that you know you can't afford to pay back. And God understands that you get in an emergency situation, you got to do what you got to do. you got to get loans. Okay? And especially in this wicked society because most people don't care unless it benefits them. There's always a few. There, there's, there's people that do care for people and don't expect anything back. But the majority, unfortunately, aren't like that. They want something back, including the rich. Okay? So, anyway, Jeremiah 9, chapter 9. Verse 23. And see, I've studied this. I'm, I'm somewhat of an expert in regards to poverty, thanks to Mr. Uh, Ashley, Mr. God, <laughs> and then also Mr. Sachs, you know, because he led me to him. He's an expert. If you want to become an expert in poverty, read his book, The Price of Civilization, and then also The End of Poverty. Those two books will give you all the information you need to be an expert in poverty. But I've studied other sources, too, along with his, uh, enough that I can say that I'm, I, I can – talk with some authority about poverty around the world. Like, I know many of you don't know this, that right now, as I'm speaking, close to twenty four to 26,000 kids are dying because they don't have enough to eat. Um, almost half the population in the world, I think, is over the population, actually over 3 million people right now, are, are living on less than $2.50 a day. Now, I know most of you may have not even known that. But see, there's a verse uh, hold your place in Jeremiah chapter 9. Let's turn to Proverbs. And see, I challenge each and every one of you that are listening to me who call yourself Christians or believers. It says, Proverbs 29, verse 7. And this is in the King James Version. And I challenge each and every one of you, if you really, really consider yourself to be a believer. Proverbs 29, verse 7. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor. Now, what does that word mean in the original Hebrew? Using Strong's here. And considereth means no. No, the cause, and then what is cause? The judgment or the strife. <laughs> the strife. The plea. So the righteous understand the poor. And the righteous would not run away from books like this, The Price of Civilization and The End of Poverty. You will be concerned about the poor. Yeshua was concerned about the poor. Jesus was concerned about the poor. Yeshua is his Hebrew name for those who aren't familiar listening to me. Then we must be as well. He's the example. He's the truth. He's, you know, follow me. That's what he said in John 14, verse 6. He's the life. All right? And you, you have to follow him. And that's one of the things he always did. As a matter of fact, in the last few as last paragraph in the book of John, it said he did so many things that he didn't think all the books in the world could contain what he did. And the reason why is because he cared about people. 
And when you care about people, you will be busy. I guarantee you, you will be busy. And you'll be happy. Let me find that verse here about being happy when you care for the poor. Proverbs somewhere here. Proverbs 14, verse 21. He that despises neighbor sins. And I just read to you that the poor are despised, right? So if you despise the poor, you're sinning. And that word despise in original Hebrew means to disrespect. To disrespect the poor. And believe me, I understand that. I've been, I'm not, I'm poor like Yeshua was. I don't have great possessions. There's, there's different stages of poverty. But the kind of poverty that Yeshua and me go through is not having or did go through because he's definitely not poor now. But when he was on the earth, he was. He didn't have a lot of possessions, a lot of great possessions like extra cars and homes. And But he had what he needed. Okay, But he, he wasn't destitute poor where he didn't have any food or clothes or whatever. But there's a lot of people in the world that are, that are in that state. But anyway, but he that has mercy, and that's compassion, compassion, Happy is he. Happy is he. That's how you have true happiness, by caring about other people. These entertainers, I, you know, i, I got to tell the truth. One of the reasons why they're not happy is because they're not giving like they really should. A lot of entertainers and rich people give so they can get something back, like a big tax deduction. And that's the truth, and. I mean, how else can you explain him not being happy? I mean, Whitney Houston, she had everything. Or so you think, right? Why would she have the need to go to drugs for? If she was truly happy. She was missing something. I know what she was missing. She was raised in a godly environment. And something happened to cause her to separate from that. And it just led into a life of drug addiction. She started focusing more on herself. And when you do that, when you're selfish, you never can be happy. You're not going to be truly happy just focusing on yourself. Believe me, I know. It don't work. It doesn't work. All right, so getting back to Jeremiah here. How much time I have left? Because I can get into talking and I just... Okay, I have plenty of time left. All right, so let's get back to Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23. Read in the King James Version here. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom and in a lot of places, man can also apply to woman. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. And this is what I want to focus on. Let not the rich glory in his riches. Okay? And when you start glorying in your riches and start getting on drugs and doing all this other stuff, 
you know, uh, that, that means shine. In, a, in the original Hebrew glory, it means shine to to be foolish, to celebrate. That's what it means in the original Hebrew. And that's what, unfortunately, Whitney Houston did too much. In verse 24, but let him that glor- glory in this, and this is what we need the glory in, folks, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Okay? We shouldn't be delighting so much in Whitney Houston or any other entertainer that we forget about what's really important. What does your virgin say in that regard? You were reading that like it was a better one or something? Let me see. Let me Let me read it. Leviticus, no, not Leviticus, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse uh, 24 in the Common English Bible. No, those who boast should boast in this, that they understand and know me. I am the Lord who acts with kindness, justice, and righteousness in the world, and I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And in verse 23, in this uh, new English uh, version, which I think is comparable with the King James in some cases, uh, the Common English Bible, it's easier to read says, the Lord proclaims, the learned should not boast of their knowledge, nor warriors boast of their might, nor the rich boast of their wealth. And that's really a good translation of that word glory, boast. And unfortunately, Whitney did do that, folks, okay, uh, to the point of being on drug addiction. But verse 24, no, those who boast should boast in this, that they understand and know me. Okay, so we need to 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 use all that idol worship toward Whitney Houston, Prince, or anyone else and focus that on knowing God, all right? I am the Lord who acts with kindness, justice, and righteousness in the world, and I delight in these things. That's what we should be delighting in, folks. Look, I will always listen to Whitney Houston's music, okay? But Whitney Houston is not more important than God, and he shouldn't be, and Whitney Houston and any other star should not be more important than God, folks. All right? Plain and simple as that. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 9. Now, this is for women... And it applies to women because women are so much in the clothes and all that. And this is in the context of Whitney Houston and any other woman. Verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Likewise, the women, when they pray, should be dressed modestly and sensibly in respectable attire, not with elaborate hairstyles and gold jewelry or pearls or expensive clothes. Verse 10. Rather, they should adorn themselves with what is appropriate for women who claim to be worshiping God, namely good deeds. So a woman should be focused on doing good deeds. That's what should be her apparel. Not to say that wearing nice clothes is nothing wrong with that, but if that's your entire focus is to look good and all that, and, and you just throw God in the garbage can, then that's not that's not what God desires for you to do. That's not what he desires for you to do. So that that's what you have to understand in that area. And I'm trying to find this. Okay, here we go. And then First Peter chapter three verse one. And she was a wife. And I don't know 
the details of their marriage or whatever, but obviously both of them didn't really behave. Uh, they actually exposed, and this is their fault, they exposed their marriage on a cable show, you know, called Bobby Brown, whatever it is, and they really didn't act like they were very happy together. So they exposed that, and I think both of them were, were guilty uh, of the relationship dissolving. But anyway, First Peter 3, verse 1, In the same way, wives, submit to your husband, so that even if some of them do not believe the word, they will be won over by your conduct without your saying anything, as they see your respectable and pure behavior. Your beauty should not consist in externals, such as fancy hairstyles, gold jewelry, or what you wear. And there's too much focus of that in, in this country, not just toward women, but also men. You know, a lot of men focus too much on clothes as well. Um, verse 4, rather let it be the inner character of your heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. In God's sight, this is of great value. Okay, so that the focus, again, as it always should be, folks, is on God. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And right now, as I'm speaking, her funeral is going on, right? Yeah. And that's good that they're honoring her death, folks. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just, as a servant of God, it's my job to tell you don't get too carried away with it. That, that's all I'm telling you. And there's many other people that's dying today all across the world. And we need to be praying for their families so that they get over the, the death of their loved ones. And you know, let's understand, too, we're all family. We're all brothers and sisters. So let's understand that as well. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Furthermore, those whose goal is to be rich fall into temptation. And this is what I'm talking about. When you get rich, you fall into temptation. They get trapped in many foolish and hurtful ambitions. And what foolish ambition did she get wrapped into? Drugs. Which many entertainers, not just Whitney Houston. They had a show on Pierce Morgan saying that a lot of stars get into this drug addiction. So let's not pick on Whitney Houston. There's a lot of entertainers that once they get into this, I'm making all this money, they start using that money foolishly. And getting on drugs and doing all kinds of silly stuff. And she's just a small example of the many examples that can be revealed. But anyway, they get trapped in many foolish and hurtful ambitions which plunge them into ruin and destruction. And what happened to the poor girl? That's what happened to her. She plunged herself into ruin and destruction. She destroyed her body, which is the temple which God says we must take care of. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all the evils. Because of this craving, some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves to the heart with many pains. And that woman was suffering, folks. I mean, I've seen, I saw pictures of her. She wasn't very happy. She wasn't. That's why she depended on drugs, to forget her sorrow, to forget her pain. But I found that reading the Bible and studying the Bible is the solution to uh, dealing with pain and suffering and being lonely. That's the solution. And then doing what it says, caring about other people. You know, they have a magazine called The Voice of Martyrs. And uh, I'm going to subscribe to it again. It shows many people around the world are getting their heads cut. I mean, I, hit, I guess some of them do get their heads cut off. But they're, uh, they, they get persecuted, get uh burning water thrown in their face and their faces messed up and all kinds of of cruelty because they believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Now, they don't understand about keeping the Sabbath and Holy Days, 
but I'm sure that has not even been introduced to them. And they're doing the best that they can to obey to the best of their ability. And there's a magazine that's published called The Voice of the Martyrs that publicizes these things that are going around the world. We should be praying for these individuals every day. We should all get a subscription in the magazine and pray for these individuals. Because they're suffering all because they believe that Yeshua, and rightfully so, is King Messiah. So those are the people we need to be um, pursuing and focusing much more so than on Whitney Houston, or just as much. Jeremiah chapter 51. And if you want a free subscription to that magazine, just type in in Google Voice of the Martyrs and you'll be able to get a free subscription to it. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 7. And this is in Hebrew, Babel, which means confusion. Babel, or Babylon, was a gold cup in the hands of Adonai, the Lord. It made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. This is why the nations have lost their senses. Do you realize what God is saying here, folks? He's saying that the majority of, of mankind have lost their senses. I mean, this is a plain statement in the prophetic book of Jeremiah, who is, by the way, a major prophet. And for those who don't think that Jeremiah knows what he's talking about, let's turn to Revelation. For those who think the Old Testament is toilet paper. Revelation chapter 17. This is where John got this from. He got it from Jeremiah. Verse 2, Jeremiah 17, actually, Revelation 17, verse 1. Then came one of the angels with the seven bowls. He said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great whore. And he's talking about spiritually, and in some cases physically, who is sitting by many waters. Verse 2, the kings of the earth went whoring with her, and the people living on earth have become drunk, drunk from the wine of her horn. The majority of the populace of the world is drunk. Drunk with entertainment. Drunk with sports activities. Drunk with doing all kinds of things other than being drunk with God. And that's what you should be drunk with. You know, but I always shouldn't say drunk, but you should be the antithesis of that attitude should be toward God. That's what I'm trying to say rather toward the materialism of this world. Now, this is an interesting scripture. Revelation chapter 18, verse 23. And you really wouldn't know this unless you did deep Bible study. But let me read this to you. In the King James. And this is talking about the destruction of this geopolitical, religious, educational, governmental system, soon, Babylon, it will be destroyed. And in Revelation 18, verse 23, it says, And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. So the great men of the earth are the merchants, the, the business people. Okay? So those are the great people on earth. It certainly isn't me. 
Okay? I mean, the world doesn't think I'm great. Um, says the merchants, that this means a tradesman, people that buy and sell. Those are the great men of the earth. And it says, for, and, and for by thy sorceries, this word was, King James didn't do a good job of translating this word, because this word means pharmakia in the Greek, and it means medication. Medication. Pharmacy. That's where we get the word pharmacy from. So this verse is revealing that medicine has done the following. We're all nations deceived. Our medicine that we have, a lot of it is deceptive because it does not solve the problem of why you're sick, just as in the case with Whitney Houston. Um, there's speculation that she may have been prescribed the wrong type of drugs or medicine, and that may have done something to her, along, of course, with the drug addiction and all that. So, so, But this scripture reveals that wrong types of medicines have deceived the nations. And that word sorcery should be translated again, medicine or pharma, it's pharmakia in the Greek, and it should be translated medicine. Okay, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Love not the world. That's not telling you not to love the people. As you see here, he's talking about not loving what they do. That's evil. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, do you understand this? If you love the, the wickedness of what people do in the world, that's what this is saying, then you're, you're, you're a pretender, and you don't really believe in the true God of the Bible. And it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this is another reason why you should stop loving the activity, the evil activities of the world. It says, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. All right, so that's something that we, we must remember here, that this, this world is not of God, and it's going to pass away. It's going to pass away. And our focus should be on him. John chapter 15, verse 19. It says, If you belong to the world, the world would have loved its own. But because you do not belong to the world, on the contrary, I have picked you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And I know people that are listening to me today that think it's wrong for me to, to talk about Whitney Houston and the negative. They hate me. But you know what? You hate God. Because all I'm doing is telling you what God says about Whitney Houston and anyone else in that situation, whether they're stars or not. And there's many drug addicts that aren't stars. So this Bible study applies to them too. First uh, Peter chapter 4. And how are they stars anyway? We make them stars. <laughs> they become stars because of us. You know, we we support them and we, we raise them up to be a star, right? First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the Messiah suffered 
physically, you too are to arm yourselves with the same attitude. For whoever has suffered physically is finished with sin, with the result that he lives the rest of his earthly life no longer controlled by human desires but by God's will. That's how you're free when you're not controlled by wicked desires. Verse 3, for you have spent enough time already living the way the pagans want you to live. In debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, wild parties, and, and forbidden idol worship. And I saw Whitney Houston. She went to a, one of those abominable clubs there in uh, Los Angeles. You know, wearing clothes. I can see parts of her body I shouldn't be looking at and, and so forth and all that. You know, and it's just, uh, or anyone else shouldn't be. And that's what it's talking about here in this verse, wild parties and forbidden idol worship. And in verse 4, it's like some of you may think it's strange that I don't plunge with them into the same flood of of, of uh, dissoluteness, and so they heap insults on you. Dissoluteness. Let's get another <laughs> translation here of that. First, that's a word that most people don't even use. First Peter 4, verse 4, And they are wondering that you no longer go with them in this violent wasting of life and are saying evil things of you. And then in verse 3 of First Peter chapter 4, it says, Because, and this is in, a, in the basic Bible, the Bible and basic English version, First uh, Peter 4, verse 3, Because for long enough in times past, we have been living after the way of the Gentiles, giving up to the desires of the flesh, to drinking and feasting and loose behavior and unclean worship of images. Verse 4. And they are wondering that you no longer go with them in this violent wasting of life and are saying evil things of you. Verse 5. But they will have to give an account of themselves to him who is ready to be the judge of the living and the dead. So uh, for those people who, who think I don't know what I'm talking about and whatever, you're wrong. I know what I'm talking about because I'm going by what the scriptures state about living a party life. And I'll just repeat this again uh, to you. I'm going to read it in another version here. It could be even the contemporary English version. It says, right here, you have already lived long enough like people who don't know God. You were immoral and followed your evil desires. You went around drinking and partying and carrying on in fact, you even worship disgusting idols. And again, as I mentioned, that's what Whitney Houston and a lot of other people do, whether they're stars or not. They go around and party. All right? And they do it too much and in the wrong way. In verse 4, and then there were pictures of her. She had blood dripping down her leg, and she had a scratch on her wrist and stuff. So, And then people were saying, and these are other witnesses, they were saying that she um, drunk too much. So she's not, again, being an example to other people or to her daughter. And I did hear that her daughter had to go to the hospital after her mother died and all that. It's just a mess. And again, this proves that making a lot of money does not solve your problems. It can help with your problem if you use it the right way. But if you use it the wrong way, it's not going to help. It's only going to add to your problems. That's why the love of money is a root of all evil, if you lust for it in the wrong way. Verse 4, now your former friends wonder why you have stopped running around with them and they curse you for it or they hate you for it. Verse 5, but they will have to answer to God who judges the living and the dead. All right. And then Romans chapter 12, 
people that call themselves Christians, forget this, what life's all about. Romans 12, verse 1. Dear friends, God is good. So I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Would you get that commentary for me, please? Because uh, David Stern, right there. Oh, right here. He does an excellent job of describing this verse here. It says, Dear friends, God is good, so I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. That's what we need to be doing, folks. Pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. That's the most sensible way to serve God. We don't serve God by serving ourselves and and making ourselves feel good with drugs. We don't do that. Verse 2, don't be like the people of this world. It says, don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. We have to change the way we think. That's what repent means. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. Now, let me read this commentary here. It's an excellent commentary on this. Romans chapter 12. It says, Therefore, because of everything God has done and is doing... I exhort you to do everything in chapters 12, 15, and so forth. Offer yourself as a sacrifice. As God's mercy was spoken of throughout chapters 1 to 11. Offer yourself, literally your bodies, as a sacrifice, a striking metaphor when animal sacrifices were still being made twice daily in the Jerusalem temple worship. Shaul, or Paul, explained what kind of deference required. The believer is not to live by his old nature, but by the Spirit. Then he will be living with the Messiah's life and thereby be set apart for God. It is the logical temple worship for you. That is the Hebraic way of understanding that verse. The King J Version has, which is your reasonable service. Greek lateria corresponds to Hebrew avadah, which can mean work, service, in the everyday sense. The cognate evat means slave. And this is what today's reader mistakenly picks up from the archaic expression in King James Version. But avadah is also the technical term for the religious service performed in the temple, and the context demands his meaning here. Then verse 2 in the commentary. Presenting God your body for right action commences with your mind, or starts with your mind. Turn from the standards of the Olam Hazah, this world, rooted as they are in everything but God and His Word, and learn what God wants. That's what we need to focus on. We need to be learning what God wants. After consideration, you will agree that what He wants is morally good, psychologically satisfying, and in practice able to succeed or be able to reach the goal. Uh, Greek sometimes rendered perfect, but here strongly connoting the goal orientation accomplishment inherent in the related word telos, as explained in um, 10 verse 4, Romans 10 verse 4. So anyway, that's what our focus should be on, folks, is serving God and presenting, just like Yeshua presented his body as a living sacrifice, so should we. Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorites. Reading this in the New American Standard Bible Version. Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he's seated at the Holy of Holies in heaven. And that's what we need to be focusing on is heaven. (laughs) Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. When you get all wrapped up in entertainment and all that, that's the earth, folks. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, Whitney Houston's not my life. 
Prince is not my life, Madonna's not my life, and no other entertainer. And neither should any entertainer be your life. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So coveting, greed is idolatry. It's the same. When you lust for things and you just got to get it, that's idolatry. Any addiction is idolatry because that addiction has become your God. You need that. And, you, and you're, gonna, you're willing to sin to get it. That's idolatry, and that's covetousness or greed. And in verse 6, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So you don't run his wrath coming down upon you for acting this way. Okay, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Beginning in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, this is the New American Standard Bible version, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again, and he wants to repeat this to you. <laughs> again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of God. In verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And in verse 26, And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So that's good news for the rich. It is possible. It's just that they're going to have to put God in their lives for it to happen. In First Timothy chapter, and this is how rich should do, what they're supposed to do so they can enter the kingdom of God in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Now, what does conceited mean, folks? Let's look at the original Greek. High-minded, that's what it means in the King James. It means lofty in mind, arrogant. You think too highly of yourself. Now, look. The entertainment industry, when you buy an album, you see the picture of the entertainer on there, right? It's all about the entertainer. The whole focus is to focus on their image. I have an MBA in marketing. I know, okay? One of the things that marketers do, they design advertisement to be appealing so that you can be psychologically attached to that. And that's the reason why... I guess most entertainers are good-looking, right? Because you're not going to really, in most cases, you're not going to buy an album of somebody that doesn't look good. You're going to buy an album of somebody that looks beautiful or handsome, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that's what marketers do. That's why marketers, they're always looking for beautiful women because they know that women that aren't beautiful by the world standards are people aren't going to be attracted to that. So marketers are going to always look for something to snare you into what they want you to do, which is to buy their product or service that they're marketing. Marketing is the, is the science or the technique of influencing you to buy a service or product. That's what marketing is. And I've studied it. I'm an expert in it. And uh, 
the, the devil influences marketers who don't obey the Torah like I do to do unethical marketing. And there's nothing wrong with using marketing in the right way. I use marketing in the right way to attract people to God's true message. But to use it in the wrong way, that's not that's not of God. But anyway, charge them that are rich in this world that are not that they be not high minded. Let me get back to the complete Jewish Bible. Um actually I was doing it in the New American Standard Bible version. Verse seventeen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, that's first Timothy six, verse seventeen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And then instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. They shouldn't they should be ready to share, not not saying, Oh boy, I gotta help somebody. They they should want to do it. Verse 19, this is how they, it says right here, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Okay? So that's how the rich are going to save themselves, basically, by doing what God tells them to do. If you are blessed to have a lot of riches, you should be seeking, just like Job did, seek, seek the poor, just like Yeshua did. Seek the poor. Seek the afflicted. A rich person can be afflicted. You tell me that Michael Jackson wasn't afflicted. He was afflicted. <laughs> Definitely afflicted. You tell me Whitney Houston wasn't afflicted. Oh, yes, she was. So we should help rich people, too, if they want to be helped. And to tell us how much we focus on entertainment, folks, um, there there's a chart that I'm going to refer to here. Uh, is, let me see if I can find it here. It's right here. Music industry statistics. And this is pretty interesting how much money we spend on this stuff. Um, I'm not going to read all these, but worldwide music industry, and that's the industry that Whitney Houston was in, um, it's gone up each year. 2006, it was $60.7 and then uh, 2011, it was $67.6 billion. So that's a lot of money that is spent on entertainment. <laughs> and then uh, former presidential candidate, uh, I forgot his name, uh, John Edwards, he stated that it would only take $20 billion, $20 billion to eliminate poverty in this country. Let's see how much we spend in the United States. Um well, I have to add it all up here. Let me see worldwide U.S. digital music revenues, North American. Well, it's not as much as the sixty billion, but it's still in the billions, from what I can see here. And I don't have U.S. Yeah, it's lower, but still, we spend a lot of money on on that, and that was still $60 billion would make a dent in worldwide poverty, not just the United States, that's for sure. So we we have to understand that the reason why there's an economic problem, one of the major reasons is the rich having too much and the poor having too little. 
And that is a, is a concept that I don't think most people understand, that God, here, this this is in Second uh, Corinthians, I think, or is it First Corinthians? Let me see. Uh, I think it's, uh, let me see, I'll find it here. It's in one of these, verse 9, verse 8. Because Paul, he quoted from a scripture in the Tanakh to prove his point about um, there should be an equality as far as uh, distribution of resources. Here we go. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. For if there be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man has, not according to what a man has not. For I mean not that other men... Let me read this in another version here. It's kind of King James's. King Jamius, I'm trying to say. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. In the complete Jewish Bible version. For if the eagerness to give is there... And see, you should be eager to give, by the way. You shouldn't be reluctant to give. The acceptability of the gift will be measured by what you have, not by what you don't have. It is not that relief for others should cause trouble for you but that there should be some kind of reciprocity, okay? At present, your abundance can help those in need so that when you are in need, their abundance can help you. Thus, there is reciprocity or fairness or equality. Verse 15, it is as the Tanakh says, he who gathered much, Tanakh is another word for the entire Old Testament, he who gathered much had nothing extra, and he who gathered little had nothing lacking. And that's the way it should be. That's the way the economy should be. What does economy mean? I know many of you may hear of that term, but what does economy mean according to the Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary online? It says, well, the economy means the management of household or private affairs and especially expenses. So when you're talking about economy, you're talking about the, the proper management of your expenses and your private affairs. And unfortunately, this worldwide economy is just in the shambles right now. Totally. And and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And then Exodus 16, verse 18, in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, But when they put it in their omer measure, whoever had gathered much had no excess, and whoever had gathered little had no shortage. Nevertheless, each person had gathered according to his appetite. See, so that's that's the, the perfect economy that God envisioned. But unfortunately, in this world, we don't have that perfect economy. The prophecy, and there's prophecy in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Beginning in verse 8. And I'm going to quote this. So this this should be the um, the attitude we all should have when it comes to money. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and futility far from me, and give me neither poverty nor wealth. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Yes, provide just the food that I need today. Verse 9. For if I have too much, and, and Whitney Houston obviously had too much, I might deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am poor, I might still and thus profane the name of my God. Verse 14, there is a type of people whose teeth are like swords, 
Yes, their fangs are knives. They devour the poor from the earth, the needy from humankind. Again, as I told you, told you there's over 3 billion people worldwide, as I'm speaking right now, that are living on less than $2.50 a day. This scripture has been fulfilled. Um, there are many people around the world that are starving, that need help, and they're not being helped. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 9. Speak up, judge righteously, defend the cause of the poor and the needy. That's what we need to have every human being on the earth do for poverty be, to be eliminated. Psalms chapter 82, starting in verse 1. Elohim stands in the divine assembly there with the Elohim judges, he judges. Verse 2, and this is um, the, I use the audio dramatic version at the beginning of my program to get people to focus on what the gospel message really should be about. It's about helping people. Verse 2, how long will you go on judging unfairly, favoring the wicked? Selah, in other words, think about that. Verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the wretched and poor. Verse 4, rescue the destitute and needy. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. Verse 5, they don't know, they don't understand, they wander about in darkness. And it's talking about spiritual darkness. Meanwhile, all the foundations of the earth are being undermined. And they are, as I'm speaking, they're being undermined right now. Because people don't care about one another. That is the problem. That is the problem. They only seem to care about one another when somebody's wealthy or if somebody can benefit them. Or they're going to get something back. Uh, but the majority, uh, if it's not that, they don't care. This is what God has prophesied in this song. And it says uh, in the original uh, Hebrew here, uh, when it says in the King James Version, out, out of course, it means to waver, to slip, to shake, to fall, decay. All the foundations of the earth are in decay because of this. Luke chapter 4. People don't understand why Christ, Christ, not Christ, Christ came on the earth. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And this is what he did when he went in, in the Shabbat, on the Shabbat, in the, in the synagogue, Jewish synagogue. He read the following. And he, he took out uh, the scripture in the book of Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of Adonai is upon me. Therefore, he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. Why would he say to the poor? Because, unfortunately, folks, if you've gotten anything out of this Bible study, the rich don't really pay attention to God. You know, they, they drift away from God. So, of course, God wants to talk to people or preach to people who are going to listen to him. And poor people will listen to God because they don't have nothing. So they don't have anything to distract them. From listening to God. Like drugs, Francis. Anyway, Luke 4, verse 18. The spirit of Adonai is upon me. Therefore, he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the imprisoned and renewed sight for the blind. To release those who have been crushed. And see, this is what people just don't understand about the gospel. The gospel is linked with eliminating poverty. Eliminating oppression. 
eliminating sickness and disease. That's what the gospel is, the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God won't have any of these things. It won't have oppression. It won't have sickness and disease. It won't have wickedness. And if if any of those situations do exist in the millennium, it's going to be quickly destroyed or put away. That's the way the kingdom of God will be in the future. And that's what the gospel is all about. Sure, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to die. You don't have to die and that you can live forever. But there are conditions. You have to obey his commandments. And people say, well, you can't earn salvation. No, you you can't earn salvation. None of us earn it because you had to have somebody die in place of us. That's the reason why. But God wants you to prove to him that you do obey him and that you do love him, and you do that by your deeds, not by what you say. Hold your place here, and let's turn to Psalm 119 to prove my point. Psalm 119. In verse 165, when you see the word law in the Old and New Testament, it's talking about Torah, the teachings of God. Psalm 119, verse 165, those who love your Torah have great peace. The reason why there's no great peace in the world, folks, and what I mean by peace, peace means you have all your needs taken care of, you have no problems, you're healthy. Now, how can we say that peace exists in the world? It doesn't, folks. In every part of this world, you've got some sickness or disease, you have some problems, Even in rich neighborhoods, you have people going out of their minds and doing stupid stuff, like Whitney Houston, for instance, okay? So so no matter what your social status, there's no peace, hardly any peace in the world. It says, those who love your Torah have great peace. Nothing makes them stumble. So for those who love the teachings of God, nothing makes them stumble. Verse 166, I hope for your deliverance, Lord. I obey your mitzvah. Okay, so I wanted to quote that scripture to you. When you hope for salvation, then the way you hope is by obeying the mitzvah or obeying the commandments. So obedience is linked with salvation. You can't say that it isn't. And for those that do, you just don't know what you are talking about. Plain and simple as that. So... That needs to be um, understood, and I hope I've clarified that that truth there. Now, in Luke chapter 3, what is the catalyst to get us to repent? What should we do to repent, folks? Luke chapter 3, from the greatest man who ever lived, according to Yeshua, outside of himself, of course. Luke chapter 3. This message isn't preached that often at all. I don't hear anyone preaching it, really. I, I'm hoping that somebody else is preaching it. Uh, Luke chapter 3. Verse 7. Therefore, Johanan said, and that's Hebrew for John, said to the crowds who came out to be immersed by him, which means baptized. I'm reading this complete Jewish Bible version. You snakes, who warned you to escape the coming punishment? And there's going to be a coming punishment, folks, for those who think they know better than God. 
Verse 8, if you have really turned from your sins, you have to turn from your sins, produce fruit that will prove it, and don't start saying to yourselves, Abraham, which is Hebrew for Abraham, is our father, for I tell you that God can raise up for Abraham sons from these stones. Already the axe is at the root of the trees, ready to strike. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown in the fire. Then the crowds asked Yohanan. So then, what should we do? So this is about doing something, not lip service. Verse 11, he asked whoever has two coats should share with someone who has none. And whoever has food should do the same. I guarantee you this on the authority of the scriptures. If every human being had this sentiment or feeling, we would not have one iota of poverty in the world unless, of course, if they don't want to obey God, they curse themselves, okay? But other than that, there would not be any poverty. If people had this natural concern for one another. But this, what I want you to see is that this is the catalyst. Catalyst means something to jumpstart you to start repenting, changing. You ha- he didn't say keep the Shabbat. He didn't say keep the holy days. He said to start caring about people. That's what's going to help you keep the holy days and the Sabbath and all the rest of these days that God wants us to keep and commands us to keep. That's found in Leviticus chapter 23. If you don't care about people, keeping the Sabbath and holy days doesn't impress God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The love chapter. Starting in verse 1 in the complete Jewish Bible version. I may speak in the tongues of men, or languages of men, even angels. But if I lack love, what is love? What's the definition of love? Does anyone know what love is? You know? Well, it's found in Romans, the definition. In the King James Version. There's a scripture that states that love is the fulfilling of the law. You can't run away from the law, folks. Do you have the scripture in screen? Okay. Romans 13, verse 10. I should have that one memorized. Romans 13, verse 10. It says, love works no ill to his neighbor. Love worketh no ill. Ill means... Uh, wickedness or harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling, and fulfilling means fills up, performance, I like that word, completion of the law or the Torah. That's what love is. So you can't run away love with the instructions of God, which many people uh, state that is the law, but it's the teachings of God. You can't do that. So that, that's something that's important for you to to understand there. Now, back to the love chapter. Verse 2, I may have the gift of prophecy, I may fathom all mysteries, know all things, have all faith, enough to move mountains. But if I lack love, I am nothing. I may give 
away everything that I own. I may even hand over my body to be burned. But if I lack love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind, not jealous, not boastful, not proud, rude or selfish, not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. Verse 6. So those who are trashing Whitney Houston, you better look at your own sins. I'm not, I didn't trash you today. I'm just telling you, not, let's not get over, overdo it. That's all I'm saying. Um, verse 5, not proud, rude or selfish, not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6, love does not gloat over other people's sins, but takes delight in the truth. Love always bears up, always trusts, always hopes, always endures. Love never ends. But prophecies will pass, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass. For our knowledge is partial and our prophecy is partial. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child. Now that I have become a man, I have finished with childish ways. For we... For now we see obscurely in a mirror, but then it will be face to face, which is another um, Hebrew-Jewish idiom for the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which is another Bible study. Anyway, now I know partly, then I will know fully, just as God has fully known me. But for now, these these uh, three things, the three things last, trust, hope, love, and the greater of these is love. So that's important that we understand that, that... Uh, Love is that important for us. Okay, I have 38 minutes. Got plenty of time here. Um, I want to read to you some statistics here to help you to understand that the economy is not really doing as great as what people are saying in the media. First of all, I want to, once and for all, because, you know, the, especially rich people and people that have been blessed with keeping jobs for 10 years and not having to look for another one, well, that's great that God has blessed you and that, and you should be thanking God every day that you have that situation. But I certainly didn't. And my wife can attest to this. I can't say that, you know. I'm a business owner, and I have projects, and I lose projects and get another one and get another one. and. I'm one of the 15 million uh, home-based businesses here, which is called micro-enterprises in the United States. And uh, it's a general part of life for the self-employed. Uh, the self-employed people don't really have employees. You know, it's only them. Uh, they lose projects and gain projects, and that's that's the way it is with me. But anyway, this commentary uh, by Heidi Sherholtz is February 14, 2012, and the headline to this is, the long-term unemployed aren't lazy, there just aren't any jobs, okay? And I hear this all the time from people. Uh, this is from the Economic Policy Institute. Uh, you should uh, really subscribe to this. There's a lot of good uh, information in here that reveals the true nature of the economy in the United States. Anyway, it says the January job report was surprisingly strong. This is dated February 14, 2012, showing nearly a quarter million jobs added and the unemployment rate dropping to 8.3%. Of course, we need job growth this strong and stronger for years to get back to health in the labor market. Even at January's rate of job growth, it would still take us until 2019 to get back to full employment. And see, that's what... 
the media is not telling us, folks. They're not telling us that even with this drop in the unemployment rate, which is not the real unemployment rate, as I'm going to reveal to you soon, um, it says even at January's rate of job growth, it would still take us until 2019 to get back to full unemployment, or to full employment, rather. So it would take us an additional seven years, that's what it's saying, for us to get back to where we were at. <laughs> but the January increase was a clear step in the right direction. That's the good news. The bad news is that it is still incredibly hard to find a job in this economy. Now, this is from a, a reputable organization, folks, so I want you to listen to this. The bad news is that it is still incredibly, incredibly hard to find a job in this economy, and that's not going to change anytime soon. As the figure below shows, the share of unemployed workers who have been unemployed for more than six months, the maximum length of regular unemployment insurance benefits in most states is still at near record levels and has seen virtually no improvement in the last two years. Okay, so I'm going to stop there, and you can read the rest of this article for yourself, but uh, the the, the um, headline of the article is, The Long-Term Unemployed Aren't Lazy, There Just Aren't Any Jobs, by Heidi Scherholz, S-H-I-E-R-H-O-L-Z, February 14, 2012, from the Economic Policy Institute. So, you 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 have to do some research, folks, and I can do that. I can help you when you listen to this broadcast here, and I hope you're taking notes, and I hope that you refer to these websites that I give you, which show you the true nature of this economy. Now, what is the true unemployment rate? Well, let's go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and... You would have to type in Table A-15, Alternative Measures of Labor Underutilization. All right, that's what you would type in Google. And this is the economic news release, and it has different grades. It has U1, U2, U3, U4, U5, U6. <laughs> now, the media only records U3. It doesn't go to U6, and I'm going to read each of them to you. U1 is persons unemployed 15 weeks or longer as a percent of the civilian labor force. is uh, In January, is 4.9%. And U2 is job losers and persons who completed temporary jobs as a percent of the civilian labor force. That's 4.7. Now, U3 is the one they report in the media. Total unemployed as a percent of the civilian labor force, official unemployment rate, that's 8.3%. But see, they don't give you the true one as... You know, as I'm going to read to you, the, the rate is going to increase here. U4, total unemployed plus discouraged workers as a percent of the civilian labor force plus discouraged workers is 8.9%. And then U5, total unemployed plus discouraged workers plus all other persons marginally attached to the labor force as a percent of the civilian labor force plus all persons marginally attached to the labor force is 9.9%. And then you get a whopping 15.1% on this. U6 which is never reported, hardly, in the media. Total unemployed plus all persons marginally attached to the labor force plus total employed part-time for economic reasons as a percent of the civilian labor force plus all persons marginally attached to the labor force is 15.1%. And some people say it's actually at 22% when you look at all the other factors. That is the true unemployment rate, between 15.1% and 22.2%. So 
you're probably saying, well, how come the media is not telling us the truth? Because they don't want you to panic. They don't want you to react in a way that is going to cause a lot of hardship, a lot of rioting and so forth. So that is the true unemployment rate, folks. It's between 15.1% and 22%, 22.2% around that area. So I'm hoping you take notes here because you're not going to hear this from too many other people. I'll tell you that right now. So now here, here's some statistics that you're probably never going to hear either from any politician because they want to be elected and they want to appease to their special interest groups, uh, special interest groups of those people who will give you money if you support their cause and all that. So that's the way politicians are. They they want to to um, appease them so they can get elected. That's all they're concerned about, getting elected. So don't let any, you know, Barack Obama's a politician like any other, and he's going to do and say things and make sure that he gets elected. That's just that's just the way they are, unfortunately. And people don't, they don't understand the game of politics. Because that's all it is, it's a game. And that's why I don't like it. I hate it. Um, this is the current hunger and poverty statistics. This although related, and this is from uh, feedingamerica.org, under the hunger in America, the hunger facts, the hunger and poverty statistics. Uh, that's feedingamerica.org. Although related, food insecurity and poverty are not the same. Unemployment rather than poverty is a strong predictor of food insecurity. And in 2009, there were 43.6 million people, 14.3% were in poverty. All right, uh, that's sad. And then I'm not going to read all these statistics, just the main ones here. Uh, food insecurity and very low food security. In other words, you're not secure with the proper foods that you need to survive. In 2010, 48.8 million Americans lived in food insecure households, 32.6 million adults, and 16.2 million children. And this is in the richest and most prosperous country probably in world history. And that that's pitiful, folks. And it's, it's because of what Mr. Sachs mentioned in his book. We have lost ethics and morality. And that's the reason why we're in this situation. And I'm, I'm tired of the media lying and saying that things are getting better. It's not getting better for the poor. And it's not getting better for the middle class. So, it says right here, U.S. labor market starts 2012 with solid positive signs, but fewer jobs than it had 11 years ago. The average person wouldn't know that because they would be suckered into the drunkenness of uh, the media and the media telling you things and you think is is accurate because the person looks credible. It's a nice-looking uh, newscast studio, right? So you, and, and the people look nice, right? So you, you think that because they look nice, it must be coming out nice, right, out of their mouths. Well, not necessarily. Remember... The devil appears as an angel of light <laughs> for a reason, to deceive. So that that's the thing that you have to understand. On that note, if you guys keep on hearing the clicking, I don't know why you're hearing the clicking. I don't know if uh, someone's trying to terminate what I'm talking about or whatever, but uh, God willing, I'll still talk. So anyway, because I know people hate truth. Economic indicators. Uh, U.S. labor market starts 2012 with solid positive signs, but fewer jobs than it had 11 years ago. 
by Heidi Sherholtz, again, February 3, 2012. So that's the headline. U.S. labor market starts 2012 with solid positive signs, but fewer jobs than it had 11 years ago. So if you want to Google that and look, look up this article for yourself. And this is, again, by the Economic Policy Institute. I'm only going to read a little bit of this now. It says, the labor market started off 2012 with a nice surprise. A 2012 employment situation report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed a labor market with all parts seemingly moving in a solid direction. Payroll employment growth of 243,000 was matched by a decrease in the unemployment rate from 8.5% to 8.3%, strong household employment growth, and a growing share of the population with jobs after removing the effect of uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics annual population reweighting. Furthermore, December's jobs number was revised up by 266,000, which included not only the routine monthly revision of earlier data, but also the annual benchmark revision, updated birth and death model adjustments, and new seasonal adjustment factors. Now, it says right here, but it's important to keep this all in context, which when you see this stuff on CNN and stuff, you don't. The U.S. labor market started 2012 with fewer jobs than it had 11 years ago in 2001 of January, a testament to both the enormity of the current labor market crisis as well as the very weak job growth of 2000 to 2007 business cycle. So this was this actually started after Clinton got out of office, this mess. And that's what most people don't understand. The job deficit, because, you know, Sheree, we weren't even struggling during the Clinton years. We were doing great. After Clinton got out of office, all the problems that we've had have surfaced and continue to be that way. Things are getting a little better for us, but we're struggling like a lot of other Americans. The jobs deficit is so large that even at January's growth rate, it would still take until 2019 to get back to full employment. We need reports this strong and stronger for the next several years to get back to a healthy labor market, and all odds are we won't have these kind of reports uh, on a consistent basis. And then right here, and I really implore you, uh, encourage you to go to this website. I, I go to this website a lot. It's Infowars.com. No news source is perfect, but he comes close. I mean, he actually does a real good job of getting or pinpointing the news that people don't want to reveal. That's why he calls his website InfoWars, because he's at war with the, the elite media. It says, many of you will not believe, and he got this from the Economic Collapse, which is another website I suggest you go to and study. Many of you will not believe some of the things Americans are doing just to survive. This is Thursday, February 16, 2012, from the Economic Collapse website. And, of course, um, InfoWars, they have posted their article on their website. It says, you might not want to read this article if you have a weak stomach. Most Americans have absolutely no idea. Uh, hear that clicking again. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, it's nothing that I'm doing there. I know someone's just trying to aggravate me, whatever, but it's not going to work. Anyway, you might not want to read this article if you have a weak stomach. Most Americans have absolutely no idea what is going on in the dark corners of America. And when people find out the truth, it can come as quite a shock. Many of you will not believe some of the things Americans are doing just to survive. Some families are living in sewers and drain tunnels. Some families are living in tents. 
Some families are living in their cars, and I can relate to that one. Some families will make ketchup soup for dinner tonight, and some families are even eating rats. Okay, that's what the media is not reporting, folks. Some homeless shelters in America are so overloaded that they are actually sending people out to live in the woods. As you read, and this is, you know, in this video that I implore you to listen to here, or read, I mean not read, look at and listen to, uh, is from the BBC. And my son was correctly <laughs> making a good observation saying that <laughs> this is from another country. We're not even covering it. It tells you how sick we are. But anyway, uh, it says some homeless shelters in America are so overloaded that they are actually sending people out to live in the woods. As you read this, there are close to 50 million Americans that are living below the poverty line. 50 million Americans that are living below the poverty line. And that's a lot of people, folks. And that number rises a little bit more every single day. America was once known as the greatest nation on earth, but now there is decay. And what did I just read to you out of the scriptures? That there's decay, not only in this country, but around the world, because what? We are not caring about people. But now there is decay and economic despair almost everywhere you look. That's what the gospel is linked with. It's linked, to, it's linked with having compassion and caring about people. That's what the good news should be also about. Not just the fact that God's uh, son came to earth and splattered his blood on you so you can have a chance to live forever. But what is that life about? That life is about caring about people. That's what's going to allow you to, to receive the gift of immortality if you prove to God that you care about people. And that's what the Torah or the teachings of God is all about, to show you how to care about people. Love your neighbor as yourself. I know you've heard that all over the, all the Protestant churches, right? Well, if you don't know how to take care of yourself or love yourself, how can you take care of someone else? If you're a drug addict, is that loving yourself? So how can you love someone else when you don't know how to love yourself? So it starts with yourself as far as taking care of yourself, as far as educating yourself about God so that you can educate other people about God and take care of other people. But anyway... Like these poor people, I wish I could help them. only thing I can do is pray for them. And if they are fortunate enough to listen to this program, it'll help them. It'll guide them to God. That's the best way I can help them. But each and every one of us have to look at our resources and say, hey, how can we best help our neighbor? How can we best help our neighbor? Just like Psalm 82 states. Let's, let's quote that again. Psalm chapter 82. Verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of, of the wretched and poor. Rescue the destitute and needy. These people need to be rescued. They out living in sewers. What a, what a way to live in a sewer. Oh, my goodness. Rescue the destitute and needy. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. And in verse 5, they don't know. They don't understand. They wander about in darkness. Meanwhile, all the foundations of the earth are being undermined, are in a state of decay. And it reminds me about another scripture in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1. Look, Adonai is stripping and destroying the land, turning it upside down and scattering the inhabitants. Cohen and commoner, Cohen means priest, slave and master, maid and mistress, buyer and seller, lender and borrower, creditor and debt. It's going to happen to everybody, including the rich. 
Verse 3, the land will be completely stripped, completely plundered, for Adonai has spoken this word. Adonai means Lord in Hebrew. Verse 4, the land fades and withers, the world wilts and withers, the exalted of the land languishes. The land lies defiled, or in a state of decay, under its inhabitants. And why? Why? Because they have transgressed the teachings, which means, or is translated law in the King James Version, the teachings changed the law and broken the everlasting covenant. What's the everlasting covenant? It's found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Those ten commandments that people run away from. Okay? And all the other commandments of God. That's the problem of the world. And I don't need to be a Nobel Peace Prize winner or whatever to tell you that. It's all in the Bible. It's all in the Bible. All you need to do is open your Bible up and you can do the same thing I'm doing. Read and, st and learn. If you've got a functional, fully functional brain, you can learn this stuff. So you know, this is not uh, something that's very difficult. Most... Americans especially have Bibles, probably in a closet somewhere with dust on it. You know, go get it and start reading it. Go get it and start reading it. I, I believe that, matter of fact, I know that you're going to be very surprised by what you find in it. Okay, so, getting back to... cause of the great poverty that we have in this country. It's because we don't care. And, you know, it says right here back in this article again, as you read this, how much time I have left here? Uh, let me take a look here. 18 minutes, all right. Back to this article. It says, as you read this, there are close to 50 million Americans that are living below the poverty line, and the number rises a little bit more every single day. America was once known as the greatest nation on earth, but now there is decay and economic despair almost everywhere you look. Yes, money certainly cannot buy happiness, but the lack of it sure can bring a lot of pain. As the economy continues to decline, the suffering that we see around us is going to get a lot worse, folks. So I'm telling you. Don't believe the media when they tell you that things are okay. They're not okay, folks. They're not telling you the truth. I wish they were telling you the truth, but I would be lying to tell you that they are. They're not telling you the truth. As the economy continues to decline, you know, I'm in business for myself, and I can tell. You know, I, I, was, uh, I had this one project where I was selling a business opportunity to the people, and they said they were interested in the business opportunity. And I would call them, and they would tell me, in a lot of cases, they didn't have the money. So that tells you how bad the economy is right now. People know they need to do something, but sometimes you make decisions based on your feelings without realizing that, hey, I really can't do this. I don't have the money. As the economy continues to decline, the suffering that we see around us is going to get a lot worse, and that is very frightening to think about. And then they ha there's a documentary. You can uh, Google this, and I suggest that if you truly are a believer in God, you would want to look at this. It's, it's called um, Poor America. It's a half-hour documentary produced by the BBC. Um, it's entitled Poor America. It says, trust me, this is a must-watch. Your heart will break as you hear some American 
children talk about, you know, and there's not one black person in this in this whole thing. <laughs> Other than Obama, of course, saying that what he promised and so forth, you know. But that goes to show you, you know, black people, we have always had it bad anyway, all right, ever since we were in this country. But when you see white people poor, now you know we got a problem. You got white people out in the street, okay, and... That's what you got to understand here. I've never seen white people struggling like this. Yeah, yeah, you know, a white family eating rats. I mean, come on. I mean that, folks. This is the end times. It cannot be any other time but the end times. And and you, you've got to understand this. You've got to wake up. And sure, Whitney Houston. I understand why you like her and all that, but don't focus so much on that that you forget about what really what, what the real problem is in this country. And, and see, he warned us, too, not to get wrapped up in stuff like that. In Luke chapter 21, let's turn there. Luke 21, verse 34. But keep watch on yourselves, or your hearts will become dulled by carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of everything living. Let me see if I could another, a better version of that here. But give attention to yourself. This is in the um, 1965 Bible and Basic English Version, uh, Luke 21, verse 34. But give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine. Uh, unfortunately, that gives visions of Whitney Houston again. Uh, and the cares of this life, and that day may come on you suddenly and take you in as a net. So he's telling you, you have to be sober. Being sober to God means you are putting him first. And he's the delight of your life. And you're focusing on, in Revelation chapter 4, if you want a vision of what heaven looks like or his throne room, study that chapter. It even gives you an idea of what he looks like. God. Like Jasper, like diamond. Glowing. That's his image. Uh, but anyway, you need to focus on him like that. And study the temple architecture. Study the temple. Templeinstitute.org. Free teachings on the temple, because the temple only represents God's throne room in heaven. Verse 34, but give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine and the cares of this life, and that they may come on you suddenly and take you as in a net. For so it will come on all those who are living on the face of the earth. So he's saying the majority of people on the earth will be into this party state that most people are in right now. Verse 36, But keep watch at all times with prayer, that you may be strong enough to come through all these things and take your place before the Son of Man. Okay? So we, we need to focus on God and the things of God first. Whitney Houston second. Okay? That, that, that's, we got to put all those things first. Because if not, we're going to end up like her. I mean, she got drunk and food and wine and drugs, and right now she's dead. You know, so you don't want to end up like Whitney Houston, folks, or anyone else. That's because there's many other people, there's many other Whitney Houstons, you know, minus the, the riches and glory that she had, that are out here right now. They're on drugs, partying, and doing all kinds of silly stuff. Unfortunately. So, the remaining I have 12 minutes. Here. I wanted to go over James, chapter five, because this is a now prophecy. And 
this is a pretty now remember that James is the Lord's brother. And the people say well, half brother, well it's still brother, okay? They had similar flesh, so he was his brother, okay? And James chapter five. And when I whenever I refer to James, I always go to chapter one to help you to understand what this sure the books of the Bible address everyone, but also when it does state so, it is addressed to a specific group or a person. And just like in Malachi, the majority of Malachi is addressed to the teachers or the priests, even though it's addressed to everyone, but it's also addressed to the priests. Well, this book is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel. And when you understand who the 12 tribes of Israel are, again, for those who don't understand what I'm talking about, go to your Davidi's website, www.b-as-in-boy-r-i-t-a-m.org, to get the proof that the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations with... Um, Canada is a part of, uh, New Zealand, which is a part of that as well, Australia, uh, South Africa, and all the countries in Northwestern Europe, and of course anyone that states or claims that they believe in King Messiah, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, are all a part of the Commonwealth of Israel, as revealed in Ephesians chapter 2. But anyway, James chapter 1, read this in the King James. Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, and they are. The, the twelve tribes were scattered back then, and they're scattered today, worldwide. Greeting. So, I just wanted to read that to you so you understand that this book is specifically a message to the twelve tribes of Israel. And you'll see that it is quickly here, if you believe when I'm getting ready to quote to you out of the Bible. James 5, verse 1. Go to now, rich men. Now, where are the majority of rich men in the world today, folks? Three. What? What? Where are the majority of rich men on the earth right now? United States. We have the most billionaires in the world. So obviously, this is addressed to us and the other twelve tribes around the world. Go to now, rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. This is a warning to the rich. Verse two. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten, verse 3. Your gold and silver or money is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. So this gives you the date of this, meaning this is a prophecy. And it's saying that the rich are going to have so much riches in the end time. And this goes along with Proverbs chapter 30, verse 14, where it says the poor, the rich devour the poor off the face of the earth. Verse 4, because this country has never been as, well, let me read you something else here from this excellent book that I suggest you get. It's called The End of Poverty by Jeffrey Sachs. And it states right here on page 27, if we are to understand why a vast gap between rich and poor exists today, we must return to the very recent period of human history when this divide emerged the past two centuries since around 1800 constitute a unique era in economic history, a period of great economic historian, a period the great economic historian Simon Kuznets famously termed a period of modern economic growth. Before then, indeed, for thousands of years, there had been virtually no sustained economic growth in the world and only gradual increases in the human population. 
The world population had risen gradually from around 230 million people at the start of the first millennium in A.D. 1 to perhaps 270 million by A.D. 1000 and 900 million people by A.D. 1800. Real living standards were even slower to change. According to Madison, there was no discernible rise in living standards on a global scale during the first millennium and perhaps a 50% increase in per capita income, meaning income of each individual, in the 1800-year period from A.D. 1000 to A.D. 1800. In the period of modern economic growth, however, both population and per capita income became unstuck, sowing at rates never before seen or even imagined. Okay, so I'm just reading this to you, and this is a good uh, chapter to study here, but prior to the 1800s, most countries were at the same level. Because of the Industrial Revolution, which began in the British Empire with the invention of the steamboat, that's when we started get having this rich divide of the rich and the poor, which God never intended. He allowed that, but he never intended for technology to get to the point of causing poverty, utter poverty. And that, unfortunately, has occurred. And God's going to put it into that soon, very soon. Can't tell you what date, but soon, because <laughs> I, I can tell that he's sick of it. All right, but back, getting back here, this prophecy, uh, in verse 4, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. And what was going on in Wall Street, right? And all that, it was fraud, right? Cry, if and the cries of them which have repeated are entered into the ears of the Lord of, the, of Sabuoth, or Lord of the armies. Verse 5, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton or lusted. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and have long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near. And verse 9, grudge not one another, grudge not one against another, brethren, that not you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. So we know that things are, are getting to a point where the Messiah will be coming back soon. We just don't know when, but we know that this is the end time, and one of the indicators is, is the other poverty, not only in this country, but around the world. That's one of the signs that things are going to be wrapping up here. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 proves that as well. When you, uh, It says right here in verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, and that word messenger means angel, by the way, whom you delight, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, but who may abide in the day of his coming? This is talking about his second coming. And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So offerings will be reestablished again in the future, despite what some false ministers are teaching. Verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. In verse 5, this is the verse I want to get to here. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. And I think that word could also mean uh, pharmacia. Pharmacia, I guess. Let me see. 
Oh, this is actually uh, magic here in this verse. So against the, those who practice magic or witchcraft and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and, and that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, says it. That's how you fear God. You fear God, Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, you fear God by hating evil. One of the evils that God hates is oppression. And that's one of the reasons why the Messiah, one of the major reasons why he's coming back, based on Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, to help the poor and the oppressed and those who are sick. He's coming, come back for that reason. So for those who are listening to me that are poor, there is hope. You just have to be patient and wait for him to come. And you have to endure, just like James chapter 5 tells you. Be patient and endure and realize that none of us deserve to live anyway. It's a, it's a gift that we, we're breathing. We all deserve to die. So we need to be patient and wait and realize that, that God is going to do the following here soon. I can't predict when, but it's going to happen soon. And verse 5, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighting of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for him that puffeth at him. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is so many things I wanted to talk about here, and I have three minutes left, so let me give you, hopefully in two minutes I can explain to you uh, what the Federal Reserve System is all about here in as simplest of, of ways here. The Federal Reserve is a private bank. It's not a government bank. It issues money or checks. And the U.S. Treasury prints bills or notes. And so what happens is that the Federal Reserve Bank loans that money at interest to the U.S. federal government. Now, how does the government pay for that? They pay for that by our income taxes. The income taxes pays uh, the interest. All right? And what this government is doing, they're printing money, and Ron Paul wrote an excellent book on this, by the way, in the Fed. You should get it. It's a really good book, and he explains this. But the money supply, whenever you increases the money, whenever you increase the money supply, that this printing money out of thin air, that increases inflation, and this increases prices. And then what they have done, that's what Bernanke has done. He's lowered interest rates, and when you lower the interest rates, they're almost down to zero now. I think I think they are at zero. Uh, that will devalue the currency. And that's what's going to happen if this country continues to print money over and over and over and over again. Now, our Constitution, many people don't know this, but the Constitution states that only Congress shall coin and regulate money, not the Federal Reserve, which is a private bank. So they're violating the Constitution of the United States. So uh, that is something that uh, I, I hope I've explained that in the simplest of ways here. And then the income tax law was passed in 1913. And also the Federal Reserve Bank started at that time as well. So you need to, there's further information that uh, you need to study about this. But for those who are interested, send me an email. I can send you some additional information so that you can really understand what the Federal Reserve Bank is all about. But if we, but, but if we keep on printing money out of thin air, if we keep on printing money out of thin air, it's only going to cause inflation, prices will increase, and then the interest rates will be so low that it's going to devalue the dollar, and people are going to go to another currency. That's what's going to happen if we continue to print money out of thin air. So with that, may God bless and keep you. I hope you have a better understanding of the economy now, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 
For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 